Hey, welcome to Table Talk, everybody. This is your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman, and I'm here with Adam Oline and Clint Poppy. You know, uh, we've got a couple of major festivals in the church here coming up. Um, Sunday, May 31st, of course, is the Festival of Pentecost, and then June 7th is uh, Festival of the Holy Trinity. And I just want to, we'll probably spend a couple episodes or more just on that, just talking about that. And I think it's, it's well worth it because uh, uh, a lot of people don't even think about these things. But the, the Festival of Pentecost on May 31st, and uh, the, the second reading, of course, in the uh, three-year series is from Acts chapter 2. I don't even know what it is in the one-year series because I, well, I don't do it. Well, of course it's Acts chapter 2 because is that is the correct reading. Yeah, okay. And for those, for I always those give him you, the opportunity to say that. For yes. those of you on the Pope's lectionary, <laughs> uh, you, uh, you have to kind of wonder and dance around. But, yeah, of course it's Acts chapter 2. Yeah, it's very interesting. I'm just going to make some observations here. Uh, with regard to the Acts 2. Pa- and folks, you can look that up on your own. Just read the entire chapter. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating study, Acts chapter 2. And, you know, I think the first remark I want to make is that uh, when everybody usually, I'm, I'm speaking in general, you know, you know Kuhlman, he, 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 he exaggerates in general to make the point. Okay? But generally speaking, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, I, I think it's safe to say that probably 80 to 90% of the pastors in the Missouri Senate who preach a sermon on Pentecost will say that this is the birthday of the church. You've heard this, right? Many times. I mean, if I had $1,000 for every sermon that I heard from a Missouri Senate preacher that says Pentecost is the birthday of the church, I could have retired probably 30 or 40 years ago and and lived in Palm Springs and play golf every day. Sunday school kids sing happy birthday to the church, have a little birthday candle, that, that, but it's that's not. That's very common. But it's not. I want to categorically assert that Pentecost Sunday is not the birthday of the church. Now, why in the world would Kuhlman dare to say such thing? Well, read the text very carefully. In Acts chapter 2, you have, you have not just two or three gathered in my name, like Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now in Acts 2, you've got 120. You've got disciples, both men and women. You have the 12, because Matthias is there. Okay, he, he replaced Judas. And you have the mother of our Lord. So you have, <coughs> this, you have this gathered congregation. You have a church. You have a church right there. They're gathered, 120 of them. And they're gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ in his name, Matthew 18. Now you're itching to say something. Well, I was going to say some of us would put the birth of the church all the way back at creation of Adam and Eve. Luther does. Yeah, Um Okay, yeah, and I right. go on that path myself. I was going to say, not some of us. I think that's what the Bible does. <laughs> well, and uh, so that would be the correct answer. Well, Genesis at creation, the worship in the Garden of Eden. This is this is church. All right. Now, now that you've raised that, Adam, and now that you made that point, Clint, we have to we have to finish this thought because I'll bet some people say, "Oh, come on," because they've all grown up with the fallacy that the church didn't begin until Pentecost. And for, for someone to assert that the church began at creation, you'd better explain what you mean by that. Now, let me have a try at it, okay? Uh, let me give you one caveat before you do that. I think some people would say, well, there was a church, but the Christian church <laughs> was born on Pentecost. So Yeah, that's I, not true either. Of course it's yeah. not, but I just I wanted to uh, throw that out there just so that's in the mix. Good, so I'm glad we're having this discussion. So you said, and... This is correct. The church began with creation. And how do, I, how do we know that? Well, read Genesis 1. Read Genesis 2. Who's doing all the talking? God. And, yeah, God's the one always talking in those two chapters. You know, notice Adam and Eve don't talk in chapters 1 and 2. They're always talked to. 
And God said, and God said, and God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but do not eat from this one because the day that you do, you will die. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the earth. God's continually preaching. At the end of chapter two, Adam finally speaks. Bone of my bone, flesh of my bone flesh. Of my, the, the first human words recorded <clears throat> in scripture. Thank you for, for reminding me of that. But That's the, at the end of chapter But the main two. point in Genesis, yes. you have God speaking. He speaks to his creation. He speaks to his creatures. And that is the essence of worship. God speaks. We listen. And I think then the first worship services would have been, uh, you know, depending on when fall and sin happened, Adam and Eve walking by the tree uh, in the midst of the garden and Adam saying, this, uh, the word of the Lord according to the first day of creation. We may eat from any tree in the garden except for this tree. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And that would have been their church service, right? They hear the word, receive the word, and they speak it back to God. And uh, Adam was the pastor, Eve was the congregation, and everything was good. And and it would have gone something even more like this. Now, God, our Heavenly Father, is is our Father, and we trust Him. He will take care of us. He is God for us. And that is the essence of worship, is that God speaks, we listen. God's word creates faith, sustains faith. That's Adam and Eve in the garden. And so back to the end of chapter two. So when God gives Adam a wife, you know, from his side, well, then he speaks. Thank you. I'll just paraphrase. Thank you. At last, the it's, King it's James. Like a, it's like a hymn of praise. It is. Thank the Lord and sing his praise. It is. Tell everyone what he has done. That, that he speaks, we hear, we listen, we believe, we respond. And now in Acts 2, you have church. You have 120 gathered. They are gathered. And I say that on purpose. They are gathered because the church is always gathered. Now, I'm saying this on purpose because as a pastor, I have a, have a pastoral concern right now during this pandemic, as, as you do too. You know exactly where I'm going with this when I say gathered. Because the church is, you can't, you can't have virtual church. There's no such thing. A church is personal. It's bodily. It's communal. It's community. It's, 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 the, it's the people of God who are gathered in the presence of the Holy Trinity in person. So, for example, uh, the scriptures speak of the church as living stones built into a what? A spiritual temple. The scriptures speak of the church as priests in a holy priesthood. Uh, how else shall I say this? We are, we are parts of a body. Uh, Christ is the, uh, the bridegroom. We are the bride, the church. He is the head. The church is the body. So they're gathered. And I, I say that for a reason, since we're going to celebrate Pentecost uh, at the end of May. The church is a gathered communal community around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can't have virtual marriage because it's a one flesh union. Try it, folks. Try a virtual marriage. It doesn't work. Or a virtual honeymoon. Exactly. doesn't work. And that's similarly with church because the church involves, as I mentioned, the bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church. And just as it was with Adam and Eve, they have a one flesh union. So there is a <coughs> one flesh union between the bridegroom, Christ, and his bride, the church, in the Lord's Supper. That's why the Lord's Supper is called Holy Communion. It is a one flesh union, Christ with his bride, the church. You can't have virtual church, you see. Now, I wanted to make that point right off the bat with regard to the celebration of Pentecost because these people are gathered, all right? Do you have any questions about that? 
No, I think uh, it's uh, very, very difficult to bring this topic up because it seems self-serving. Well, and pastors, you know, right. uh, churches are empty. Maybe the collections are a little bit down. And so uh, people might or maybe just outright do question the motives of pastors or churches that uh, that make a big deal out of this. And so it's, it's kind of like the voters meeting where they're going to talk about the pastor's salary. You know, should the pastor sit there? Should the pastor leave or whatever? I think to be faithful preachers, to be faithful to God's word, <clears throat> we need to emphasize this intimate, intimate nature that is church. God calls, gathers, and enlightens. Uh, Luther, third article, yeah. third article of the Apostles' Creed. And this gathering is essential to what and i use that word on purpose too ah. so let's have some more fun with this i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, ask adam you know in john 20 when jesus is he gathers a group of people in an upper room they're gathered and then he shows up who's missing do you remember thomas that's right he missed church that week do you remember that <laughs> i'm just i'm just having fun with it so in john 20 you have you have they're gathered together in the upper room, and Jesus forgives them. You have, you have a church service going on. He forgives them, okay? And there's somebody missing. His name is Thomas. He missed church. He skipped out. I, I'm just having fun with the language. And so what's interesting is, is that his fellow believers, the fellow apostles, a week later, they make sure he's back in church. They bring him back to church, gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus does his service. He serves Thomas. How does he serve him? Uh, don't don't disbelieve anymore, Thomas. You need to believe in me. And he shows him his hands in his side. And Thomas says, my, my Lord, Lord and my God. God. So what you're saying, I mean, I'm going to tell you what I think here. Uh, by preaching a sermon and by bringing the wounds of his crucifixion to Thomas, that creates faith. And and to be fair, a week before, that's the same way the other 11 were brought into the faith. Yeah, the they were ten. afraid. They were afraid. They were locked up. Yep. But when Christ comes and preaches a sermon and shows them his hands and his side, they become Christians. And he does the same thing for us. He, and this is Pentecost again, Peter preaches a sermon that brings people to faith, and then they baptize, bringing the wounds of Jesus to cover their sins and clothing people in the robe of Christ's righteousness, and then they have the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, and again, bringing the body and blood of Christ to the people. And so we see that since the very, very beginning, the church has been all about preaching and the sacraments, and that's the way faith is created. And so you have a, you have a real church, you have an embodied church. Now, I can't help myself, but this language in John 20, when Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. Uh, let's push this even further, shall we? Just for fun. So you have you have the blessed Apostle Paul when he writes his letters that are, that are to be read as sermons in the churches to which he writes. How does he begin his sermons? Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did you notice? I think I don't think we pay attention to this, and I'm just going to throw this out. This is astounding. If you're if you grew up uh, as a Hebrew. You convert to Christianity, and the preacher begins his sermon, Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize what Paul's doing here? He's saying that when I, when I greet you in Jesus' name and in the Father's name, they're greeting you. And not only that greeting you, but the Holy Trinity is actually bestowing upon you grace, peace, and mercy right now in the word of God that I'm going to preach to you. This uh, 
John 20 that you're talking about with bringing peace, it shouldn't have surprised the disciples because in the upper room, just a few days earlier, Jesus told them exactly what he was going to do. And this is a part of the gospel reading in the historic one-year lectionary series from John 14. Uh, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My (laughs) peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Brilliant. That's so well said. isn't, Isn't it just amazing how... God's word all fits together, yeah. and as uh, Pastor Moline brilliantly said, points us to the wounds of Jesus Christ, which are there for our salvation, for our forgiveness. That's the only thing that brings us peace. And so, so where there's church, where we are gathered in the name of Jesus, there's Holy Spirit, and this is Acts chapter 2. But Acts, Acts 2 is a unique day. A unique day. Oh, I hear the music. Well, let me, we'll come back to Acts 2 and we'll talk more. So hang on tight. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. Neil Moline, he's our resident expert on the book of Acts. And so, you know, as, as we closed out the first half of this program, I said that Pentecost here in Acts 2 is a unique event. So uh, in what way is it unique and a one-time only kind of thing? Well, uh, the unique things that happen on Pentecost are the Holy Spirit coming down in fire and landing upon the apostles, the uh, Ordinary things the are mighty rushing wind. Yes, yes. Um, the ordinary things are preaching and administration of the sacraments. We'll get to that in a minute. But so, I let the the things that are unique would be the rushing wind, the mighty mm-hmm. rushing wind, and the the t- tongues of fire, if you will. Tongues of fire. Yes, yeah. and and the uh, glossolalia. Isn't that the word? Well, it's, the, it's the, translated as tongues the or speaking, languages. The speaking in tongues that they had never... Well, that continues. You, you have that. You have that in, it continues a little bit in the book of Acts Th- and that, in the New Testament. But, but this say, is unique to this point. Yes. I yes. mean, it had not happened before, or at least not recorded. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're able to preach God's word in actual real languages of people that lived in the ancient world, you know, Cretans, Arabians, things like that. And so... It is speaking in tongues, but there's nothing that says that ever stops for the apostles. Now that, that they're not able to continue to preach to these people where they meet them in their everyday life. And I would contend that's precisely the point. It, just a side note. When Paul says, you know, to the Corinthians, you know, I even speak in. And I, this, I, I, I'm contending that uh, in the New Testament, we have other references to the tongues, like in Acts 2. These are intelligible languages that people can understand. This isn't just... And that's, that's what it says in Acts 2, right? How is it that we hear each of us in his own language. native language, yeah, yeah. not in uh, gobbledygook of... Uh, yeah. 
Now, it, it's just pushing that a little further. So every time that you come to church then on Sunday morning and you hear the gospel preached in English, that's a language you can understand. That's a little Pentecost. And in addition, so unique is the, in other words, here, let me back this up. So when you, <laughs> we shouldn't expect w- rushing wind or great mighty fire no. and tongues, tongues of fire. But the Holy Spirit continues to be poured out by Jesus through the preaching of the gospel, because that's the, that's the, the thing that continues, right? Yes, exactly. And you see that in Acts chapter 2, where then Peter preaches a sermon, and Peter does exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in John 14, 15, and 16. So, for example, the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin. Uh, Glory is given to Jesus in Peter's sermon, and not just any Jesus that he makes up for himself, but rather it's the crucified and the risen Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, and, and Jesus says in John's gospel that the Holy Spirit will bear witness to Jesus. And that's precisely what Peter does in his preaching in Acts 2. He glorifies and he gives witness to the crucified and risen Jesus. And in that, the Holy Spirit is at work. How do I know that? Well, again, go back to John's gospel. Jesus says in John 6, you know, the words that I speak, they are spirit. That's capital S spirit. And they are life. So every time that the gospel of Jesus is preached, the Holy Spirit's at work, and that's what you have in Acts 2. Yes, and I I don't know if this is the place to mention it, too. I'd point out that the uh, sermons that he preaches are very Lutheran. They're based on Scripture. <laughs> he reads Scripture, and then he preaches it. He's always he, quoting the Old Testament, he isn't is, he? He is. He preaches law, and he preaches gospel, and he talks predominantly about Christ, and uh, and that's the same way that a true Lutheran sermon should be preached as well. Uh, yeah, you're right. And piggybacking on this, it's it's Christ for you. That's the gospel. This is just not generic preaching of facts. There are fact. It's factual preaching. Don't misunderstand me. These facts actually occurred. Jesus was crucified, and he says, "You did it." I'm paraphrasing to the crowd. You did it. And he rose from the dead. Those are factually true. But the, the, he clinches it when he says it's all for you. And you know it's all for you at the end of, towards the end of the chapter in verses 38 and 39 when the people are cut to the heart. And they say, well, what in the world should we do then? And he says, well, repent. And, of course, the heart of repentance is faith, faith in what I've just told you about this crucified and risen Jesus. And be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you, which parallels Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations. So be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And so when, when Peter earlier quoted Joel 2, and that is, it's Joel 2 is an end-time prophecy, the last days have begun when Jesus pours out the Spirit on his apostles to preach, and the last days, the end times continue as the Holy Spirit is poured out on, on all people who are baptized. So when Joel said that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people, it is the apostles and then the people that hear the preaching of the gospel and they receive holy baptism, the Holy Spirit is given. And so, you know, my, I, here we have to be careful uh, because we have, we, in America, we are surrounded by Pentecostal Christians. And they claim to be the true Pentecostal Christians. I'm here to tell you, no, it's we're the true Pentecostal Christians because we look Amen. for the Holy Spirit and we find the Holy Spirit where he has promised to be for us in the preaching of the gospel, as you mentioned in the first pro- half of the program, preaching gospel in baptism, absolution, John 20. Read John 20, folks. Jesus mm-hmm. breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them to go forgive. And then, so in forgiveness, that's the Holy Spirit-filled word of God and the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread and book of Acts. 
And if, if you look for the Holy Spirit apart from those things, keep in mind Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. When you look for the Holy Spirit apart from those things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it quite blunt, bluntly. <clears throat> um, I'm doing this from the top of my head, so I may, may quote it incorrectly, so you're, you're better at this than I am. But it's a, I think it's in Ephesians chapter, is it chapter 6, I think it is? Uh, verse 30, or maybe it's 4, verse 30, where it's, Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, is that even close? Is it even in Ephesians? I think it is. In any event, um, uh, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we look for the Holy Spirit and where he is present for us apart from those places. So in other words, what I'm t- trying to say is, well, uh, I get the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit spoke to me apart from the word. Nope, that's not. You grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in the Word. Ephesians 4.30. Okay, okay. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Um, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's say it positively now. So we need, to, we need to be confident in where the Holy Spirit is for us in the Word. The, wor- the preached Word and the sacramental Word. Because baptism is the Word. Lord's Supper is the Word. Absolution is the Word. In baptism, it's the Word with the water. And you follow what I'm saying here. So uh, those were just some random, uh, wild thoughts, if you will, on this Acts 2 passage, just for starters, for people just to start thinking about Pentecost here. So every Sunday then is a little what? Easter, Pentecost, uh, the whole, the whole enchilada is what Kuhlman would say. Well, yeah, it's, it's a little Pentecost. So every Sunday is a little Pentecost because the gospel is preached in a language that you can understand. English for us, right? I mean, when I would go teach overseas, like in Tanzania, or if I would be somewhere else, like in Sumatra, and I would t- attend their services, you know, I couldn't understand it. It was different language. But the, the people there could, and there was a little Pentecost going on because the gospel was preached in the language they could understand. And the Holy Spirit was at work creating and sustaining faith. So uh, where, where, where church is, Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, as the small catechism says, he calls, gathers, and enlightens not only people individually, <laughs> but the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with the Lord Jesus Christ in the one true faith. All right? Pastor, I don't know how much, uh, how much deeper you want to get into Pentecost, but I want, to, I want to share with you a little account because the celebration of Pentecost fits and connects so well with the next week where we celebrate the Holy Trinity. <clears throat> Uh, years ago, I uh, was uh, working with a, a gentleman who was an assistant at a mortuary up in West Point, my hometown, and I'm doing a funeral service. This man tells me that he uh, grew up in Minnesota, he grew up Lutheran, and uh, then he became a uh, Pentecostal preacher and was supplementing his income working part-time at the uh, funeral home in, uh, in West Point. And we were at the gravesite. And he says, you know, there's one thing that I really miss about being a Lutheran. And I go, what's that? He goes, I miss Lent. I miss Lent. And so we visited and we talked. And I said, well, why did you become a Pentecostal preacher? And he said, it's all about Pentecost. It's all about Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. And I looked at him and I said, well, the Holy Spirit existed before Pentecost. And he looked at me and said, absolutely not. There was no Holy Spirit before Pentecost. And I looked at him, I looked at him and I said, you realize you just denied the Holy Trinity. 
And he gave me this blank stare and said, I'm going to have to go home and think about that one. He never talked to me again. Yeah, this is, this is a danger with Pentecostals, and, and it's true. They, many Pentecostals, I'm getting, making a general point, they deny the Trinity. And they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they do it with no qualms. Well, this gentleman didn't want to deny the Trinity. He just was shocked when I pointed out the logical connection between one part of his theology and another part of his theology that didn't fit. And I think this is where Bible-believing Lutherans can really help our brothers and sisters that maybe have strayed in this area. It is completely inconsistent with a belief in one God in three persons, three persons in one God, the Holy Trinity, the God of the Bible, and to say there was no Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Yeah, that's, again, that's, that's, that's either willful heresy uh, or just total ignorance of reading the scriptures. I mean, right, you read Genesis, the Spirit's there. That's what I was just going to ask. What do you do with that? Exactly. <laughs> or in all the other places in the Old Testament where the Spirit is mentioned. Yeah, like a, we all know the Ezekiel text where the Spirit comes and gives life to Israel through the preaching of the Word, the, Ezekiel's um, preaching. The prophets themselves even say, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me and told me to do this or yeah. say this. And again, I think that's always interesting because when they say that, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, what do they usually do? They preach. Preach a sermon. And, that, and that's, I, go ahead. That That's I think that's an ordination sort of thing. That's what it means in the book of Acts when the Spirit comes upon the apostles that is putting them in the office of preaching and teaching. It's not some uh, higher realm of Christianity that we can reach. It's it's about ordination and preaching. Let's uh, Just piggybacking on that, <clears throat> the, the Spirit of the Lord or the Word of the Lord in the Old Testament. And so the point being, um, the Spirit and the Word always go together. They're always attached. Yeah. So the, and let's keep in mind what I said earlier from John's gospel when Jesus, he, he knows the Holy Spirit and he tells us what the Holy Spirit's about. He will glorify me. He will bear witness to me. He will take from what is mine and he will make it known to you. That last part. Well, let me say it. Let me, what, let me ask the question, folks. Why would the Holy Spirit glorify and give witness to Jesus? Now, I know you've never been asked these questions before, so this is good to talk about. Seriously, I'll bet, I'll bet any, most of you people who listen to this radio program have never been asked. Why would Jesus say such things that the Holy Spirit would glorify Jesus and testify to Jesus? I bet most Christians couldn't even begin to answer that question. But it's so easy. And this is why Lutherans then become Pentecostals, because they can't answer those simple ABC questions. And it's this. Because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh, who bore all sin in his body, and Good Friday atoned for it all in his death on the cross. And so Jesus does the salvation job. And so the Holy Spirit is going to make sure that everybody's attention is on who? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, by connecting it with Trinity Sunday. Absolutely. And so that's why the Holy Spirit's going to glorify and give witness to Jesus, because the second person of the Trinity did the salvation job physically in the flesh for us. Not the Spirit, not the Father. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which men may be saved. Now, I hope that's helpful for people. And, and see, we do these ABC things, and we take that we should never take these ABC things for granted. Oh, there's the music again. Come back again next week, folks. Stay Lutheran, my friends. It's